0: What privilege did I was on this Sunday before Christmas to remember Christ who came as flesh, God incarnate? The Word came to dwell among us that we could really see the glory of God. Today we gather in your presence with joy and anticipation of what you have done for us and the anticipation of what you are going to do for us, not only today and in the journey of life, but what you have in store for us forever. Let our eyes today be focused on your truth. And I pray today when we leave, we'll have a better grasp of the Christ and the tree of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Colossians this morning for our Christmas text. As we think about the tree of Christmas, we've gone to Eden and seen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've been to Mara and saw where a tree made the waters that were sweet. We went to Elam and saw the oasis of trees that give rest for the journey. Today, we want to come to the tree of Christmas. Look with me if you would. Colossians chapter 1 and then we're going to look at chapter 2 and just some selected verses there. Colossians 1 15. Here's what it has to say about Jesus. Jesus is the image. Colossians 1 15. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation because by him everything was created. Look at verse 19. God was pleased to have all the fullness not some of God, not a taste of God, not a glimpse of God, all the fullness of God to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. What did he do at Christmas? He came to the world to be the sin sacrifice for all of mankind. And Paul would write to the church in Colossae, by doing so, he made peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on heaven or things on earth. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him, 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. He forgave us all of our trespasses. Now look look, look at verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt, meaning... Everything that you had charged against you, he took that in the certificate of your case, your account, and all of its obligations, what it would take to pay that account, all that was against us and opposed to us, he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to his cross. This morning, what I want us to think about is the epic nature of God's mighty plan at Christmas We so often hear the stories of Christmas, we have Christmas plays and Christmas dramas, but the real story of Christmas is that Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. We learned in the Garden of Eden, when we were looking at the trees of Christmas, we learned that God in his love warned man, don't eat of that tree, you eat of that tree, you're going to die. God in his love said, I'm trying to protect you, same way a parent does with a child when they say near a stove, don't touch that, it's hot. Not because the parent's mean and doesn't want a child someday to use a stove, but they want to be aware that same stove that can cook your food can burn your hand. A parent will say to a child, don't go jump in that pool. But if they don't know how to swim, don't you go jump in the pool. Not because they don't want the child to be cool in the summer and enjoy water. But if they can't swim, that pool that brings joy to many can be a place of death for a child. Doesn't know how to swim. When God says don't, it's not because he doesn't love, he says the penalty, the potential for evil, the destruction that can cause is greater than you want to pay. And so God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree. But then as now, and now as then, we're more tempted at the tree of knowledge of good and evil than we are the tree of life. You don't meet many people who say, my greatest quest is to know all that I can know of God and live as abundant life as I can in Jesus Christ. I've met a lot of people who say, we want a party hearty, and that doesn't mean in a positive sense. We're still drawn to the knowledge of tree of good and evil more than the tree of life. But God in his love warned us, you eat of that tree, you're going to die. The minute Adam and Eve ate of that tree, death entered the world. Now think about it. Here's how gruesome was that death. God warned them because he loved them. But God executed death because he loved them too much to leave them in sin. You would think ill of me today if I brought a five-year-old up to the platform, six-year-old, four-year-old, and I said to you, I'm going to show you the look on the face of Adam and Eve the day that God provided a sacrifice for them. If I took an innocent little child, four, five, six years old, so precious and life's so new, and I stood that little child up here and I took a lamb and I said, now, son, little girl, I want you to watch this. And I raised the snout of that lamb and took out a big old sharp knife and to me, shoo, and cut the throat of that lamb, and that lamb flinched and started falling, blood splattering, that you'd say, Pastor, that little child's terrified. Why would you do that? That's how Adam and Eve looked in the garden. How old were they when God, how long had they been in the world when they sinned against God? Was it the first afternoon? Was it the second day? Was it the third day? Was it a week later, two months later, six months later? How long had Adam and Eve been in the garden together before they ate of the tree? I don't know. But here's what I know. They had never seen a leaf die. They would never seen a bug die. They would never seen an animal die. They would never seen anybody die because they were only two antibodies. They didn't know what death looked like. And so when God said, in the day that you're going to die, how soon did they experience the death of something quickly? Because the Bible says in the cool of the day, God came calling Adam and Eve, looked right at Adam and said, where are you, meaning what are you doing down there under the bush? He called Adam and Eve out and they looked pretty silly wearing fig leaves. He said, I didn't say except for the shedding of sap, you're you're not going to be forgiven. He said, except there's the shedding of blood. Without the remission, without the shedding of blood, there's no covering, no remission of your sin. How did God do it? I don't know. What did God kill? I don't know. But here's what I know. The Bible says when he called Adam and Eve out, he covered them with the skins of an animal. How do you get the skin off of an animal? You kill it. How did God kill that first sacrifice or those first two sacrifices? Did he have an animal kill for Adam and an animal kill for Eve? Did he call them by name? Was it two rams? Was it two young bullocks? Was it two lambs? What did he call? I don't know. But in that instant, here's two people that had never, ever, ever seen death. Any more than a five-year-old has seen a gruesome death. And standing in their presence, God says, by eating that tree, here's what the penalty of that looks like. Did he rip it apart with his hands, that animal? Did he just speak and it dropped dead and then he skinned it in one fell swoop? I don't know. But can you imagine the horror on Eve's face? Can you imagine the shock on Adam's face when suddenly everything they'd known in the garden was full of life? And now here was God who made it all, killing an animal to cover them with the blood so that their sin could be covered. What did that look like? How did they stand there? What were they thinking that moment? It wasn't good. And the Bible says, because man had sinned, God brought a covering. Now, I don't want you to think, please don't ever think that God made man and was shocked when Adam sinned. The thing that amazes me the most about creation, because I'm not sure we'd be that noble. If you knew somebody was really going to hurt you and do everything they could to stand against you, not for a season, but for a lifetime, would you go on and say, make them? I don't mind, let them, let them hurt me forever. Now, some of you as parents know what that's like now, don't you? Because you had a son or you had a daughter. And, and through the life, it's not been since they were very, very small, when they brought you joy, when they became old enough to really be rebellious, they've broken your heart in 19 ways. You gave them life. God provided that life through you. You helped bring them in the world. But what they brought you is grief. Can you imagine God knowing That Adam is going to sin, and he's going to sin, and he made them anyway. And the Bible says before he ever made Adam, the cross, the tree of Christmas, was on his mind. Just listen to Scripture, 1 Peter 1.18. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed from the futile and empty ways of sin that you inherited from your forefathers. How? With the precious blood of Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. When did the cross appear on Golgotha? In the mind of God before he ever shaped the dust into Adam. Listen at Revelation 13.8. It says of Jesus, he is the lamb slain from the creation of the world. Jeremiah 23.5. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll raise up to David a righteous tree or branch. When was the tree in the mind of God? When he was given prophecies through Jeremiah. Listen to Isaiah 11. A shoot. Will come up from the very root or stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. When was the cross on the mind of God? After Adam sinned? No. Before Adam ever sinned, he knew what Adam was going to do. And he made him anyway. And all of us that have come after, he knew we were going to sin. And he gave us a shot at life anyway. That's the amazing amazing part of God's mercy. The Bible said God sent his son. He, He sent his son into the world to provide for us redemption. God sent his son on a mission. That's what it says in the Gospel of John. God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did Jesus come? Not to be cuddled, but to be crucified. He didn't come to have you uh, 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 offer oohs and ahs over a baby. He came to listen to the wails of sin and take her penalty to the cross. For this cause, he's coming to the world. Matthew one twenty one. what was his name? The angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. It's the Old Testament root, Yeshua, or Joshua. The word literally means Jehovah is salvation. Why did he come? Why did he come? His very name said he's coming to save his people. So the cross was in the mind of God. The tree was in the mind of God before the world ever was. Years ago, an artist by the name of William Holman Hunt Painted a picture and it's a picture of Jesus, maybe 18, 20, 22 years old before he began his earthly ministry. He's already up and a young man. The painting shows Jesus in his dad's carpenter shop. Most believe Joseph died early. And because Joseph died early, Jesus became being the firstborn, he became more or less the breadwinner. He worked in the carpenter shop till he was thirty to provide a means for his for his family and brothers and sisters to have something to eat. And so the picture that William Hunt painted, William Hunt Holman, paint, Holman Hunt painted, shows Jesus stretching. His young man been working, and he's standing up to stretch as a carpenter would after working for a while. If you've been sitting or working on something or been working on something, how you stretch to get the stiffness out. And behind Jesus in the picture is the wall of the carpenter shop. The sun is coming through the front of the shop. And when Jesus stretches, his hands, the shadow of his hands are, 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 are stretched across a board that's holding all the awls and punches and tools of a carpenter. And as Jesus stretches, this hand is on one end of that, uh, one end with the awls and the punches, and this hand shadow is on the other end of the, hall, uh, the, the board with, sh- with awls and, and punches. And so, what you see in the shadow, when Jesus stretches, as the sun comes through, you see the shadow of the cross. And here's Jesus' this young man stretching as a carpenter, and yet behind him is always looming the cross, and it shows Mary on her knees working in the shop. And just as he stands up to stretch, he going, oh, Mary looks up and she sees the wall and there's the shadow of the cross as her son stretches it on. How soon was the cross in the life of Jesus from the moment, from the, from the early days of creation and the moment Christ came to the world, he knew why he was coming. Here's what the Bible said. Jesus said, you can't take my life from me. No, no man takes my life from me. I offer it as a ransom for many. The Bible says when Christ came, it was the fulfillment of God's promise. Today we hear about the war on Christmas. Can I ask you a question? When was there not a war on Christmas? When was there not a war on Christmas? The Bible says when Jesus came to the world, the word went out immediately. to all everywhere, he tried to find, everywhere Joseph tried to find lodging, there's no room, and there's no room for him today. The Bible says when he came into the world, he came to the Jews. He came into his own, and his own didn't want him. The Bible says that when he came into the world, Herod hated him. How much did he hate him? He had a decree go out that every two-year-old baby, that tells you how long it took the wise men to get to the house where Jesus was. He wasn't at the nativity. The wise men were not at the nativity. Their journey from Persia to where Jesus was was somewhere under two years because Herod said, kill all the male babies in Bethlehem, two and under, believing, I'll get him. I'll get him. I'll kill all the male babies there. The village of Bethlehem maybe was 200, 250 in the days of Jesus. So that means there was maybe, maybe 20 male babies, two and under, maybe. And people say, well, why didn't God spare those babies? Why don't we spare ours? We're not even shocked as a nation, not as a church. We're not shocked as a nation when the leading abortion provider in the nation says, we dismember babies for the parts. And we say, so? <laughs> so? People say, why didn't they? Why didn't Jesus spare the children of Bethlehem if he spared his own son? Jesus didn't spare his son. God didn't spare his son from death. All he did is delay and he punched paws. And those male babies died in Bethlehem that night. Every mama with a newborn that first Christmas was squalling. But 33 years later on a knobby hill outside Jerusalem... That one who was spared at Christmas would die for the sins of the whole world, extended on a cross naked for the whole world to see. God put the sin on him who knew no sin. You talk about a war on Christmas? When Jesus came, the Sadducees hated him, the Pharisees rejected him. In our nation, America has totally cunt, counted him out. We, we don't want Jesus. We don't want to mention Jesus. We don't want you to mention Jesus. We don't want songs about Christmas. We don't want our schools to say anything about Christmas. The children they sing about snowflakes. They sing about Frosty the Snowman. If you didn't know better, you'd think they're meteorologists. They don't know anything about Jesus. They sing about weather patterns. They sing about holiday cheer. What cheer is there if Christ has not come? We don't want Christ. We don't want him in our public square. We don't want him in our public school. We don't want him in our jobs. We don't want him in our marketplace. And too many have a celebration. And your celebration is not greatly different from those of the world. And the Bible says the world didn't want him. He came to his own. And they didn't want him. You're talking about a war on Christmas. Churches today spend more time debating the virgin birth than they do proclaiming the truth. He is risen. We don't want him. So the war on Christmas is not new. The Bible says it started in the Garden of Eden when God had spoken the word. You eat of that tree, you're going to die. And the minute Adam and Eve ate of that tree, there was enmity between God and man. And that's never changed until the cross of Jesus Christ and those who believe could be forgiven. We feel the massive scope. Sometimes I feel like we've told the Christmas story so often, it's like, oh, yeah, here, I know that, I know that. Well, maybe we ought to slow down and think on it. There's nothing, if, if anything of this magnitude happened today, it'd be on the news nonstop for days. L- let me give you just three or four illustrations of the birth of Jesus and its magnitude. See, we read Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and we hurry past that to get the story of, the, of that little couple going to Bethlehem. But the very first verse is epic. And it came to pass in those days when Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed. <laughs> Holy moly. Did, did you hear that? God sent out a decree through Caesar Augustus that the whole world would be taxed. Why? Because Micah 5, 2 says, the child is going to be born in Thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, or Ephratah. Out of you shall come the one who shall rule Israel. Where did Mary and Joseph live? Nazareth. God moved an entire empire to get a couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So when she was great with child, she'd bring the child of God, the son of God, into the place where Micah said, centuries before he was born, he will be born in the city of David. And God moved the whole world to get two people to the right place. That's pretty epic. Can I tell you the night he was born, the Bible says it was in the fullness of time. You know what that word fullness means? Pregnant. In the pregnancy, when, when time was fully pregnant, I've often thought it's amazing when it says that Mary was great with child. Some of you have been great with child in your lifetime. And poor lady that's about to give birth, she looks like she's miserable, and don't you dare ask her now, when is does that do? She'll tell you, but her teeth will be gritted. She's ready to give birth to that baby. And it's miserable. I can't imagine if indeed the pictures are true. If indeed, I've always thought Mary and Joseph came a little early and while they were there, the time came that she would be delivered. I'm hoping she arrived on her seventh or eighth month. But if indeed it was the night, literally, that she just got to town, got off the burr and gave birth, she was not a happy camper. Can you women imagine riding on the back of a burr at nine months pregnancy? Y'all never ridden on a burrow, have you? Listen, if you rode on a burrow... 60 miles to get to a place of birth, you'd be calling your husband ugly names. Can you imagine this young couple and she's on the back of a borough and when she gets to Bethlehem, she gives birth because she was great with child. The, the time was imminent. What does that mean? When Jesus came, the world said, something's got to give, we're back. When Jesus came, the world was pregnant with expectation. Something's got to give, the taxation is oppressive the military fighting is continuous. We have guards everywhere. These Roman soldiers are everywhere. We can't, go, we can't go anywhere without being stopped and have to give an ID or give an account. I'm so tired of soldiers checking on me. I'm so tired of these taxes. I, I'm so tired of not being able to make a living. Our, our children are struggling. Our families are struggling. It's just it, something needs to happen, and we're back. Every week, somebody, some of you, sometimes two or three of you, will send me an email and say, Pastor, I just saw this where the person talked about the problem with America and the desperate needs of America. Did you read this? It just seems like something's about to happen. Every week, y'all send me one of those. Why? Because there's a sense in this Christmas season, something big is about to happen. The Bible says the last time that feeling was there was 2,000 years ago in Galatians 4. In the pregnancy of time's fullness, something did happen. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Can I tell you what else is miraculous about Jesus? I'm fascinated by all you young parents that have children today, and when the birth comes, you've put it on social media, and you send out all kinds of announcements, you do all kinds of creative things, and I don't mean to be ugly, but I could tell you, you don't hold a candle. How many of you ever remember somebody born that all of heaven sent an angel choir to announce it? None. I don't care what religion you want to study, because there's somebody, some folks have a little sticker on your car, Coexist. exist <laughs> uh, It gets me, makes me want to throw up. Coexist. exist so, so we're all on the same terrain, are we? The gospel is no different from Buddhism, Hinduism, Sharia law. We're all the same, right? We don't really need a Messiah. We just need tolerance, right? Because there is a way that seems to man, but we're all going the right direction, right? No, there's a way that seems right to man, but then there are the ways of death. And I want you to hear me. The Bible says in the day that Christ came, he, when he came, the angel of the Lord came and announced to, to the world, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. When your baby was born, was there an angel in the football field over Bethlehem, over Broken Era? Did an angel appear over St. Francis? When your baby was born, was there somebody in Texas that rose up and said, there was an angel choir tonight, there's a birth in broken era. How many many babies were born that you ever heard an angel made the announcement? I can give you a clue, zero. Heavens didn't open for Muhammad's birth. Heavens didn't open for Buddha's birth. Heavens didn't open for one of the gods of of Hindu's birth. Heavens didn't open for Lao Tzu's birth. Heavens didn't open for Confucius' birth. Who did God open the heavens to out? One, Jesus, the Son of God. And the Bible says when the heavens opened and the angel made the announcement, suddenly there was a tear in the fabric of heaven. And the choir of angels, that myriad number of angels, said we can't just stand back here in the recesses of heaven. We want to join in. And suddenly the night sky was filled with a choir of angels. Glory to God in the highest. I can't imagine that sound. You don't think that's epic? Epic. Listen, there's only been one that changed history, split it half in two. His name's Jesus. The Bible says when he came, when he came, angels answered. Then the, the last thing real quickly. We've read this so often, we don't, we, it doesn't even phase us. These wise men had traveled somewhere just under two years to get from Persia, which is modern day Iran, to Bethlehem. They followed a star. I believe it's because Daniel went there in the area of Babylon eight centuries before. He told them one day there's going to be a king born in Judah that will rule the whole world. And here's the sign. He described the prophecy about a star. A star will be in the scepter of Judah. A star will show forth the scepter of Judah. And I believe they understood that when we see this star, it means a king has been born. And sure enough, they saw his star in the east. And the Bible says they started their journey, and we don't even think about it. The Bible says when they got there, they wanted to have a baby shower for Jesus. Any of y'all had a baby shower? What'd you get at your baby shower? Anybody get incense? Anybody get pine rosin? to get a box of sawdust with spice in it? Anybody get a gold brick? We, we don't even think about it. What, what did those wise men bring to Jesus? I know disposable diapers, right? That's what you give a newborn, isn't it? I, I know they gave him formula. Well, what did they give you? I know they gave Mary a diaper bag, his designer, right? That's what we normally give. Why do we listen to this story and we don't say, they gave what? The Bible says these wise men traveled two years, and when they got to Jesus, they didn't ask her, Where's that little baby? They said, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? What did they give him? Gifts of royalty. Gold is the symbol of what you give to a king. You take out a treasury and you bring your very best gift. What'd you bring to Jesus today? What'd you bring to Jesus today? When you come in the presence of a king, you bring your very best gift, and they brought gold worthy of a king, picture of royalty. They brought frankincense. That's the powerful, pungent incense that's used when a priest is in the temple and he offers up incense before God at a sacrifice. Here's one born king. Here's one who's the priest ever interceding for us. And they also bring to Jesus not just gold and frankincense. They bring myrrh. You know what that is? It's old sticky and like pine and It's got a very, very strong, pungent smell. It was used for burial. They didn't embalm. They didn't know how to embalm. So what they'd do is they'd smear a body with myrrh. And then they'd wrap it with fine linen and they'd sprinkle aloes, that sawdust, with spice. And they'd wrap it again and and more myrrh to make it sticky and more spice. And that myrrh would keep everything glued together. Why would you bring a baby, a gift of death? We know he's going to be king. We know, he's a, we, we know he's a priest. We brought him frankincense. But somebody said, if he's a prophet in Israel, the reputation of prophets in Israel is that the Israelis stone him and kill and cut, him, cut asunder the prophets. He's going to die. Isn't that what Simeon said to Mary? When that aged man who was waiting in the temple and begged God, I don't want to die till I can see the salvation of Israel. And when he saw Jesus, he said to Mary, and there's a spear that will pierce your soul also. Why did they bring him gold? He's a king. Why did they bring him frankincense? He's our high priest ever interceding for us. Why did they bring him myrrh? Because Israel, as America, we reject any prophetic message that says you better repent or you're going to perish. We're not listening either. And the same fate awaits us. The Bible says when he came, it was epic. When he came, his birth announced his mission. I find it interesting. Years ago, there was a, of course, it doesn't mean anything. Now, I need choruses longer than 10 years old. is ancient. But some years ago, there was a chorus, a song. Michael W. Smith recorded it. Here's what it says. Tears are falling. Hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God, true or False. Listen to this. Tears are falling. Hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised. We've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Hope you don't mind our manger. How I wish we would have known. But long awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Oh my. Bet our hungry souls be filled. We're all now breaking heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Now listen to this. Fragile finger. What's the picture of? Ever held a little newborn's hand? A little one-year-old's hand? Fragile. Listen, fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for them. Tiny heart whose blood will save us unto us is born. I love this phrase. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy, perfect son of God. When he came, his work was epic, but his work is also highly engaging. How many of you know what your baby was thinking when he or she was born? How many of you have transcript of their thoughts when they were getting born? How many of you? I didn't think so. I want you to see this because if I don't see it, you'll say, now, where did he say? So turn with me. I want you to turn to Hebrews just a minute. Hebrews chapter 10. The Hebrews writer is quoting Psalm 40. But the translation that he uses in Hebrews 10 is much clearer. What was Jesus thinking when he came into the world? Why did he come as a baby? Hebrews 10, look with me in verse 5. Hebrews 10, verse 5. The thoughts of the master, look. Jesus thought, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Sacrifice and offering, Jesus said, you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here am I. It's written about me in the scroll. Here am I. I've come to do your will, my God. Why did he come? He came to die on a cross. He didn't just come. Many people say, I just think he was a good man. He was a great man. But that's not enough. I just love the fact he was a healer. He was a healer, but that's not enough. I think he's the greatest preacher ever. Though there's no contest. You're exactly right, but that's not enough. Jesus said, I've come that I might, I've come not to offer condemnation, but that the world through me might be saved. He said, I've come to offer my life as a ransom for many. I've come to pay the debt of sin that's written against you. He came to die on a cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Listen, Just listen. 1 Corinthians 18 and, and then verse 23. Scripture says, God was pleased through the foolishness. Or let me back up. 1 Corinthians 8, 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. Now listen to verse 22 and 23. 1 Corinthians 1. The Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Look, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. What does that mean? When the Jews were studying for the coming of the Messiah, they were looking for somebody like David. That's what we're looking for. Boy, I hope somebody comes with a strong military arm and knocks ISIS into eternity. Isn't that what we're looking for? We're looking the wrong direction. Well, I'll tell you right now, I hope we get somebody smart enough to run this economy. We're heading in the wrong direction. Isn't that what Israel was looking for? Get these Romans off our back where we make a living. Isn't that what we're looking for? Well, I'll tell you right now, I wish somebody would come and elevate our nation. We're, we just, we've, lost all, we've lost all our standing in the nations of the world. Jesus, the, the Israelis said, I remember when David's kingdom, we were called the golden era. And from Jerusalem, the whole world was ruled. Why can't we get back? Isn't that what we're listening for? We're looking the wrong direction. Here's what the Bible says. Christ came, Christ came, and he offered salvation. But look at this. It is a stumbling block to the Jews. You know the Greek word? It's a scandal, scandalon. Preaching Jesus to the Jews is scandalous. Why would you Gentiles believe a Messiah would come in the world to die on the cross? Everybody knows Messiah's coming to bring us political reestablishment and exalt the nation of Israel. Messiahs don't die on crosses. You all are absolutely scandalous. That's what Paul said. And he says to the Greeks who are intellectual, PhDs, by the way, you know today if you teach or if you were to say, I believe the world was created, you're not granted a job at a major university. I say that's intellectual stupidity. I remember when evolution was a theory. The Bible says if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's to the world foolishness. You know what the word is? Moronic. Moria. Moronic. If you are dumb enough to believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're nothing more than a moron. Isn't that what the world thinks about us? I try to get my news from a lot of sources. If I left to myself, I'd only watch and read conservative news, but I find out the world doesn't think like us. I was reading one this week, and an article in this particular liberal news outlet said, The world can never talk about Islamic terrorists without including Christian Christian terrorists like Adolf Hitler. (laughs) Y'all not listening. How many of you think Adolf Hitler was a great Sunday school teacher? How many of you believe he propagated the four spiritual laws? What does the world think of Hitler? Well, he was a Christian who killed off all those Jews. No, he was a madman who killed off nations. But you say, well, Brother Nick, that that nobody believes that. Are you kidding me? That's what the world thinks about you and me. They think, they think all we do is find groups we can hate when Jesus came to be the Lord of life. You know what the Bible says? When the gospel is preached to the Jews, it's a scandal. And to the Greeks, it's moronic. Well, when you see something as magnificent as Jesus, the world sees that and says, I just can't believe he would die on a cross, that's so sad. I don't know how many of you watch different things, I don't know what you watch, but there's all kinds of great stories that end what we see as tragedy. Uh, one for me was the tragic story of an American sniper who died, uh, died a- a- at a shooting range and therapy helping a soldier get over post-traumatic stress. You think, goodness, he helped so many people and he died basically trying to help somebody else get over stress tragic the world sees the cross and says that's so tragic Uh, many people don't even hate Jesus many many people don't believe in Jesus don't necessarily hate him and they'll say you Christians have such a sad sad faith that your master died on a cross that's just awful well in the eyes of man it is but how could God how could the son of God defeat our worst enemy if he didn't take it head on and the Bible says when he died on the cross, he shouted from the cross, it is finished. The work has been done and he was on his way into death so that by tasting of death for all of us, when he came out of the grave, he had said, I have taken the very worst that Satan could throw at me at temptations. I've taken the rejection of the religious. I've taken the ridicule of the intellectuals. I've taken people who despise me because I didn't fit their mold and I even was obedient to the death of a cross and died shamelessly, stripped naked on a spit on a hill like a piece of meat hung out in the sun to dry. I tasted of death. I have entered the grave where I went in for three days and death could not hold him. The grave could not seal him. The grave clothes could not bind him. And he came alive from the grave. Why? Because that is not the end. That's the comma. That's where he paid for our sin. That's where he offered himself for death. That's where he entered the grave for us so that he could come victorious and on Christmas. We're not here to cuddle a baby. We're here to crown him king. He's the Lord of glory he paid for our sin he came alive from the grave so that when you and I go to a funeral there's not great weeping of I'll never see you again you can say until later at the throne of God we will be reunited Jesus Christ tasted death for all of us and came alive that we can live forevermore. listen that split history into two parts before he came and in the year of our living Christ and that's the story of Christmas if you just go to the manger and say, that's cute, don't bother. Go look at an incubator in a hospital. If you just see Jesus as that cuddly little child of Mary, that's as far as you go, don't bother. But if you take Jesus and say, what did he do for us? What did St. Colossians? He took our every certificate of our debt and he nailed it to the tree. You know what that means? Somewhere, if you borrowed money to buy a house, somewhere in a bank, wherever you borrowed the money, They've got your. They've got the 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 contract you signed that said, "I'm going to borrow how many thousand dollars." Here's the date I borrowed it. Here's how long I'm going to have the loan. Here's the interest rate, and I've signed and agreed all the all the stipulations of that contract. And somewhere in a bank is your name on a contract to borrow money. You borrowed money for a car. Same thing. Whatever you got, wherever you got debt, you sign something that you're responsible. You know what the Bible says. Every time you commit a sin, your debt increases. Some of you have been shopping this Christmas and your credit card was rejected, wasn't it? And what'd they say? It says you don't have any money. You don't have anything left on this card and your face turns red. You see you're overdrawn, you got too much debt. You know what happens with you and me? When we sin against God, the certificate of our debt just keeps growing. Some of us have a book, some of us have a trilogy, some of us have an encyclopedia set. Do you know what it means when it says Jesus nailed your certificate of debt to the tree? In biblical times when you had debt, because most of the time it's smaller communities, they would publish among the among the people that get to be known among the merchants, don't you let the garlands, don't you let the garlands borrow anything on time. They won't pay it back. Their debt, their debt's huge. And so it would be posted, don't, we do not take credit, but we will not give credit for these people. And it was posted, and if my name was on there. It didn't do any good to go in that store. If I knew I had unpaid debt, they're not going to let me borrow anymore. But here's the beauty. If I could gather enough money to pay my debt, I'd go in to the merchant. And I'd say, sir, I see this certificate that I can't borrow anymore because I'm, I, I'm in so much debt. Here's my money. Please let me pay everything I owe you and remove my debt. You know what the merchant would do? He'd take the certificate of my outstanding debt once it's paid. He'd write across it the word that Jesus shouted from the cross to tell us that it's paid. He'd take that out there to the doorpost of his shop and he'd take a nail and he'd nail my paid debt to the doorpost so anybody walking by could see Nick Garland has no more debt. It is paid in full. You know what Jesus did with my sin? The Bible says he took the certificate of my sin with all of its obligations and he nailed it to the Christmas tree, the cross of Jesus Christ. You know what? Because of that, I'm free forever. I don't want you to just come to a manger. I want you to come to the cross I love stories of transformation. Jess Moody tells the story of years ago when he was pastoring in California. He had a chance to go to a place where they were having a Bible study for some pretty notable people. And when he was there, he met Rose Kennedy, the mother of John F. Kennedy. And Mrs. Kennedy, through an opportunity to share, began telling her story of, uh, of her relationship and how she went to the, through a very deep valley before she ever truly came to know Christ. She tells the stories of young Mary and how she was so enamored with being a Kennedy and she had all this money and all this power. And she said, real truthfully, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the power. I fell in love with the fact that there wasn't anything I couldn't buy. There wasn't any group I couldn't belong to because she said, we were somebodies. And it really went to my head. She said, I really thought I was somebody and I lived it to the hilt. And she said, then we had our firstborn daughter. She was a precious little girl. But said we hadn't had her too long before we realized something was wrong with her in her mental development. She had some pretty major issues. And the doctors, after an examination of the firstborn, said, this little girl really has some major, major issues, and she'll never be able to function in a home. You're going to have to put her in an institution just for them to care for her. You, you can't care for her needs. Boy, that made Rose Kennedy mad. I'm a Kennedy. We got money. She first got mad at the doctor because he told her that, and then she got mad at God. How could you let that happen to us? Here we are, new mar- newly married, and just have our first child, and you give us a child that's got major needs. How could you let that happen to us? Boy, she was mad. Some of you been there. Christmas time rolled around. They were supposed to go to the home of some well to do somebodies, and Rose said to her husband, I think it's best you call and tell them we're not coming. She said, I'm so bitter that I'm afraid if somebody said something to me, I might lash out and say something I'd really regret. I don't want to do that. Please call and tell them we're not coming. So her husband called and canceled. And that night, that night after they canceled, she went to her room and a maid, a maid came into her bedroom, which was not unusual. This lady had access there. But she came in to see Mrs. Kennedy as an act of love. She said, "Miss Kennedy, I've been watching. I've been watching you for the last few weeks, and I've seen how angry you are. If you don't do something, your bitterness is going to ruin you. I really think you ought to pray this prayer. Lord, would you make my heart a manger where the Christ child could be born? Boy, that ticked her off. She went into a rage, and she said to that maid, you get everything that's yours out of this house tonight. You're fired as of this minute. Get out of my house. I never want to see you again. Any of y'all ever been bitter? How's that sound? About right? Well, the maid got her stuff, and she left the house. Miss Kennedy went to bed, but she couldn't sleep. All through the night, she kept tossing and turning, and she just kept seeing the face of that maid saying, Miss Kennedy, I think you ought to say, Lord, would you make my heart a manger? where the Christ child could be born. She said, I couldn't get that off my mind. So he said, I got on my knees and I knelt beside my bed in an act of deep surrender. She prayed, Lord, could you please make my heart a manger so that my heart would be worthy of a place where the Christ could be born. She said the most amazing thing in that moment, she said, all the bitterness left me and all the, all the vitriolic words that I've been thinking about, it just seemed like they dissipated. And she said, Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'd, I'd known about Jesus. We'd been religious always, we're very active in Catholicism. But she said, In that moment, something different happened. She said, In that moment, I truly, I truly came to know Jesus Christ. And here's what she said Love replaced that anger that had so gripped my soul. When morning hit, she couldn't wait to get to the phone and she called that maid and she said, I need you to come over here right now, bring your stuff. And the maid made it sound confused. She said, I know what I said last night, but I wanna see you this morning. The maid came to her home and she immediately, like a little girl, said to that maid, Mrs. Kennedy, to the hired help, can you please forgive me? I was so bitter and you were so right. Last night, I didn't sleep well, but I did what you told me. I opened my heart to Jesus. And all I can say is he took the bitterness and he changed my heart. And I want to ask you if you can forgive me. And if you can, I'd love for you to come back to work. You know, that maid did. Mrs. Kennedy, that maid grew old together. One working for the other, but the other always remembering. There's the hired help that told her about the master who could change her life forever. You know, there is a Christmas tree, but the red on it's not bright red twinkly lights, it's the blood of Jesus, and the thorns are not from holly berries, they're from a crown of thorns, and the decor is not sweet tinsel, it's a purple robe, blood-stained, and the one on it is not a precious baby, it's a grown man who was sinless, who by his blood paid the price so that you and I could go free. There is a tree at Christmas. It's found in Golgotha's Hill. And all who come there leave horrible things to take away the gift of forgiveness and grace and transformation. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father, you know this morning every heart and every need and every life You understand exactly this morning about Christ's coming, for it was in your heart before it ever was enacted. You know today the hearts of everyone here, those who are close and those who are far away, those who have believed in Jesus and those who are still reluctant. Truly, we can never celebrate the birth and the celebration of Jesus if we don't open our heart to who Jesus is so this morning, I would pray that any without Christ this day could be a true day of Christmas as the Christ of Christmas becomes the Lord of life for those who don't know Jesus. I would pray that today others who have decisions to make would feel freedom in this place to do just that because they're drawn to Jesus. I pray today for each of us as we can contemplate celebrating the Christmas season that will examine where are we in relationship to this Christ of Christmas is our walk with Him close and daily and sweet, and growing? Are we walking some distance away, admiring and remembering days past when our faith was strong? Are there some in this room who say, Brother Nick, I've never walked with Jesus a day. I don't know Him. Well, i got to believe if you're in church, it's because you want to. You want to know Him or you wouldn't be here. And so today, wherever you are in relationship to Christ, I would invite you in this invitation to come to Him. Father, send your spirit's power. Draw us by your grace and mercy. And let us experience the nearness, the transformation, and the grace of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join together as we sing. If you need to come, you come. We have a lady for ladies, men for families, or others. You come right now. Won't you do it? Come.